Welcome to Low Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. This week, I'm joined by co-host Gramps. Our episode this week is episode 56. Our guest is Mara Gordon of Aunt Zelda's. She's the co-founder. How is everybody doing this week? Good. Doing great. It has been a rapid change of weather. I don't know about where, where you're at. Texas, we went from having, it's going to kill you with 110 degrees to 55 <laughs> overnight. Yeah. Well, I'm in La Paz down in Baja, California, Sur, Mexico, and it's gone from really hot to just hot. So <laughs> the opposite. We are reducing some of our uh, humidity, but it's still pretty miserable. Chris reached out to you. I remember talking right before the show that it's like, <laughs> I was like, I don't know much about you <laughs> and how we do the podcast and how I'm usually, I don't dig too deep into people. And, but I saw that you had done a TED talk. And I was like, interesting. I don't, I don't think I've ever talked to anybody who's done a TED talk before. That's got to be its own interesting thing to, to even bring up. That it's actually the first place that that you know. And after my son passed away, and I started diving in head first into the research. Um, of course, I was looking not only online and at research facilities and whatnot that I could find, but I also was looking at videos and stuff on YouTube. And that was where I first saw Mara. And then after I watched that TED talk, I said, okay, I got to figure out who this person is. And then I followed her on Facebook when she was on Facebook uh, and went from there to, you know, Twitter and, and we've just followed each other for I, I probably about five or six years now. So tell us a little bit about the story of how you got involved in the whole cannabis research world. What brought you into it? So uh, <laughs> my husband needed surgery, refused to have it. And so I started investigating alternatives to uh, opioids to deal with chronic pain and severe pain. Uh, long story short, a good friend uh, showed me that she was using it to help her at the time boyfriend with his back pain. So I experimented with it and it was something that worked for him where he was able to uh, have the surgery, get out of pain, get off of the obviously opioids that he had to take for the first few weeks after such a major surgery uh, without any uh, residual issues. And I thought, well, I can use this for myself. And the question was, how do you use it? How do you know how much to take? How do you know what to take? How do you know how to take it? All of the the questions that a medical patient would ask about any kind of medication. And at the time, there simply were no answers. And so I decided that with my background, it made sense for me to utilize my engineering background and understanding data and systems and things to try to figure it out. And so I started making medicine and sharing it with a few people around me with the, with the caveat that they had to give me feedback on it. I was weighing every piece. We were one of the first companies to lab test uh, anywhere in the United States uh, at the medicine in small batches to be able to control and get the data. And then, you know, I've never been a commercial brand. It's always been about research and development. And um, I did utilize my background to develop a software platform that we've been collecting in uh, the data on uh, all these years. And so we're able to look at treating various diseases in a much more methodical in an imperial uh, research manner versus just anecdotal. So that's yeah. kind of how it all started. That's got to be a, a long, uh, tedious journey. 
<laughs> yes. yes. You don't mind and me asking. Expensive. Yes. You don't mind me uh-huh. asking. So I, what I've seen from when we deal with dose and dosage is, is that uh, it tends to be very different from person to person. And it's not just because of dose, but because I guess of the terpene profile, the strain that's being used. But I imagine that with this data that you did collect, there seemed to be like a call like a sweet spot where it's like, we know between this area and this area, this tends to work. Is that what y'all know? Is that, is that what y'all uncovered with your data? Yes. We, we know the best starting point and the best initial target to have for, for using it as a, as a therapeutic dose. We're able to adjust accordingly. Cannabis, as, as you all know, is a bespoke medicine. It is not a one size fits all. But then there's this illusion that pharmaceuticals are a one size fits all, and they are not. Yep. Every time you get a new medicine, it's like, try this. If it doesn't work, then we'll go up to this dose, whatever. So cannabis is just the same thing. It's not only the terpenes and the cannabinoid content, and it's also uh, the method of manufacturing and the method of ingestion the hydration level, the set and setting. I mean, there are so many different components that go into cannabis that need to be addressed. And so you have to set up a a consistent environment for people to take their medicine to have consistent results. One of the things that we were able to debunk very early on with our data is the fact that there's, uh, the with pharmaceuticals, they often talk about milligrams per kilogram. And with cannabis-based medicines, we were able to debunk that. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. There's more of a correlation on a starting point based upon the age of the person, the sex or the the born gender of the person than there mm-hmm. is to uh, um, anything else. That's where you're, That's how you find out where your starting points are. Okay. Interesting. Well, something that it, it, I wonder now, we talked about the same thing with the pharmaceutical side about not being a one size fits all is how wonder how much genetics like family genetics plays into this because like I'm on, I've mentioned in other episodes, I'm on methylphenidate for ADHD. That mm-hmm. is what works for me. I have tried Adderall in the past and it is not very effective for me. Keeps me more wired than I should be. And my son has ADHD. And the first thing they put him on was Adderall. Yeah. And I made the notation of them. I was like, you know, I don't think this is going to be as good of a, a effective medication for him. I do think it might be an answer, but it wasn't effective for me. And immediately the psychiatrist told me, if this is what you were on and it worked, it likely has a, it's a likelier chance that it'll work for him. Yeah. Just genetically speaking. And I mm-hmm. wonder if the same has presented in cannabis. Um, one of the questions, well, first of all, uh, that makes perfect sense from what you're you're sharing on that. One one of the things Adderall in particular is it doesn't really work for most people that have it. They, it makes them too uh, agitated. But that's a separate story. That's why cannabis is such a good option for so many of those people. But w- one of the things I had decided early on was that if I had a question, I wasn't going to be able to answer it unless I asked it. So I've been collecting from patients all these years their uh, ethnicity and origin so that I can try to find patterns where, for example, if there are people from, from uh, the Middle East, what are going to be the profiles of the medicine that are going to overall be most effective for them? From, from Latin America of, of, of native type uh, origins, that kind of thing. 
looking to see if there's patterns. I have been collecting some interesting stuff around Ashkenazi Jews just because of my own personal interest around that. But I do think that uh, when I interview somebody before we set up a, a, a protocol for them, I'm able to deter from the interview a lot of times what's going to work and what's not going to work. Um, people like people like you, my guess, if I was to say right off the bat, you're going to use something with a higher level of alpha pining in it. And that's going to help to focus you and, and keep you focused in your, in your, in from the medicine. I've used something with alpha pining. It makes me feel like I'm jumping out of my skin. So it's, it's just, you know, <laughs> but I don't have ADHD. Yeah. Right. Right. So that, I mean, it's just, so I find in, there's more of a pattern having to do with what the diagnoses are and then some of the medical information in addition to it. Too many times when people are looking to work with somebody with cannabis, they ask all these questions about um, their diagnosis, but they don't dig deep in there about the other comorbidities, uh, country of origin, family of origin, that sort of thing. So it'll be interesting to see over time if that actually makes any difference. But we don't have enough data at this point for me to make any predictions. For the record, uh, limonene, then pinene for me. Of course, those two. 100% yeah. makes perfect sense. Yeah. That's why I tell people I'm a big sour diesel fan because it is it is loaded with that. Right. And, and I can't use sour diesel. And the interesting thing is I moved to Mexico from Sonoma County where sour diesel originated. And it was every around me and I couldn't use it. Yeah. Oh man, that's, that's gotta be something where you're like, everybody's like, this is what we got. It's great. And you're like, I can't touch that, man. That's horrible. <laughs> well, fortunately I was Sonoma County where we had everything else. So it wasn't much of a problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, something that you're, you've brought up with that, with looking at these backgrounds and looking at family history mm -hmm. is something my wife has discussed. And we've, we've brought up is that the diagnosis sometimes are based on the culture, especially mental health. Um, autism is a big one because it's a, it sometimes is diagnosed as a social item. So if the social standards are different, okay. then there's going to be a different, I guess, a different way of diagnosing, diagnosing it. And I wonder how that might play into this. Um, I don't really have enough information on that to make it, to, to make a statement, but I can say that culturally, certain diagnoses are going to hold more of a stigma. And so they're maybe not as likely to diagnose them or to get them in an early stage on certain things. I mean, let's look at cultures that if a woman has an affair, they just, for example, I mean, it's, it's crazy instead of divorced. So, I mean, there's just, there's, there isn't really a, a way to be able to know that for sure right now. I do know yeah. that there is stigma associated with diagnoses and we do need to change that. One of the things that we've been doing is we've been collecting ICD-10 and ICD, now it's gonna be going into ICD-11 codes, um, which are the insurance diagnostic codes that are used that Medicare initially started them. And from that, we're able to match very specifically and doctors, if you look at what the ICD-10 codes are and you really delve into it, they are really specific. So it makes it very difficult to not give a specific diagnosis. Now, once you leave the United States, though, it's a it's a other it's a different it's story. A different. Women yeah. used to be put in in uh, mental institutions not too long ago in the United States because they were promiscuous. 
or they were yeah. talking back to their father. I mean, it was crazy. They're, they've got hysteria. That's what they label exactly. it as. Exactly. And, and, and it's what you're bringing up. And I mentioned like with autism is that America, the United States is one of the countries that has decided to move Asperger's into autism right. where a good chunk of the rest of the world has not. They still have right. it as a separate diagnosis. That yes. So yeah, it's very much a difference. And I've, I've even wondered at times if some of this stuff, you mentioned the insurance codes, how much the DSM five in the United States has been adjusted <laughs> to deal with insurance. Yeah. I have no yeah. opinion one way or the other <laughs> yeah. on that. <laughs> that's the, that's the hot question. And I, I understand the, um, we were talking earlier about you done a Ted talk. What was the Ted talk about? I want to be able to link this into our, our video. Cause the video is going to go up. I want to put it in the description to send people yeah. over, give them a preview. Okay. Uh, the, the title of it was cannabis and separating the science from the hype. And what I really did was took a, a walk through my journey of learning about cannabis and about what's truth and what's fiction and the fact that it really is a bona fide medicine with incredibly life-saving and life-enhancing benefits and um, how to go about uh, talking to your doctor about it, how to go to a dispensary and ask the right questions and figure out what to buy and then how to use it. Uh, so that's really, it's just kind of a, I think it's a it's a, a destigmatizing thing to yeah. see, you know, somebody of my generation up there talking about it and talking about it as medicine. And, you know, I still at the end of the day, I have to be honest with you, I was, I still want to have a glass of wine for my adult use recreating. <laughs> Cannabis <laughs> is my medicine. If you come to my people are often shocked when they come to my house because there is no evidence of cannabis anywhere in my house. And it's because it's my medicine. I don't have my thyroid medicine sitting on the coffee table. Why would I have my cannabis sitting on the coffee table? It's no. in it's it's being kept where it is, where I use it as a medicine. And so um, I think that the TED talk was just, you know, I mean, you saw it, Chris. I mean, I'm curious what you're thoughts were because uh, to me it was just look people it's just it's not rocket science it's a plant and it has medicinal benefits absolutely absolutely all right well it's time to go into our first sponsor segment here at the lone star collective podcast i'm your host jesse williams i'm joined this week by co-host Gramps. Our guest this week is Mara Gordon. This is episode 56 of the Lone Star Collective Podcast. We'll be right back after our sponsor messages. Oak Cliff Cultivators is a sponsor of Texas Cannabis Collective and the Lone Star Collective Podcast. Oak Cliff focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. Their product line includes hemp flour, pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta 8, and merch. For more information on their product's quality or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com. 
Thrive Apothecary offers an experience truly unique from anything else in Texas, a full-service cannabis solution that is doctor-owned and offers customers every level of cannabis legally available in Texas. From traditional CBD products to emerging hemp-derived THC edibles, smokables, and now medical cannabis. As a licensed medical cannabis provider, prospective patients from anywhere in Texas can book a sponsored online eligibility consultation to determine if they qualify for a medical marijuana prescription from the comfort of their own home. Plus, for Texas veterans, the first prescription appointment is donated by Thrive. Visit thrivetx.com for more information. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast, the official podcast of Texas Cannabis Collective. Distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more, to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams, and Gramps. Welcome to the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. This week, I'm joined by co-host Gramps. This week's episode is episode 56. Our guest this week is Mara Gordon, Font Zeldas. Talking about the TED Talk a moment ago. Yeah. Why don't you talk about uh, founding Aunt Zeldas? Give everybody information about that. How did you, how'd you fall into, into creating that? Well, I, it was... It was I don't know if I fell into it or if it just was a natural evolution, because um, I certainly wasn't looking to start a business uh, at that stage. That's anyway, um, I'm making medicine for people and more and more people started coming to me because they saw somebody that uh, or knew somebody that I was helping. And they just kept saying, I saw that the results, the benefits to this person. Can you help me? Can you help my mother? Yeah, sort of thing. And um one of the things that I was doing initially when I first started Aunt Zelda's is I was making my Aunt Zelda's carrot cake recipe because carrot cake is very oily. It has a tremendous oil content. And so it was easy to infuse oil, get the, you know, the molecular weight, put it into the carrot cake and then know how much was in each piece because you could weigh, I could weigh it. So when it came time to start, you know, people started calling it, you know, that Aunt Zelda stuff, Aunt Zelda's, you know, talking about the carrot cake. And when it came time to, you know, really officially start a collective, which I was under the old collective system in California, of course, many years ago, um, it just it was just a natural name. You know, people kept saying, oh, you should name it after yourself. You know, you're the brand. You're the brand. And I'm like, I'm not a brand. You know, I'm a researcher. I'm a researcher. I just want to I just want to make good medicine and be able to know what's working and what's not. And so that's how the name and let's face it, it's a pretty cool name. Um, I remember when I first st set up my um, Aunt Zelda's Twitter account. This was like 2011, I think, early 2011. And every fan of The Legend of Zelda followed me like within minutes. <laughs> I had every bot, I had every, you know, it, you know, it was so, so funny. So um, 
every once in a while I get somebody that asks about Sabrina and I don't know what they're talking about, but you know, something else. <laughs> oh, but, let's say it's Aunt Zelda from Sabrina, the teenage witch. Okay. There you oh, go okay. okay. So, so it's like, it just, it's, it's a catchy name. It's whatever. And then I did go on to start Zelda therapeutics, which is now Zalira therapeutics, which is a publicly traded biotech company. So no, that's really where Aunt Zelda came from. Chris, what's on your mind? Well, I was just going to answer Mara's question there before we went to the break about my what I thought of the TED Talk. Uh, I, I would have to say that it was eye-opening. Having been a, a cannabis user my whole life already, recreationally, right? Uh, but wanting to learn because of what happened with my son and his epilepsy and, and what medications basically did to him was the opposite of what they were supposed to right so i wanted to learn so your talk was eye-opening enough to me just that short i mean it wasn't like between 10 and 15 minutes it wasn't very long the little video on youtube right but it was enough to 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 intrigue me to seek you out and seek more of your research out it was it was eye-opening good good well that's the yes start conversation certainly not to finish it yeah and it, it does do that it starts conversations i use it all the time to start conversations actually <laughs> well good, good conversation good. starter you want to hit this <laughs> it's the best conversation starter ever depends on the crowd you're in i think but <laughs> yeah yeah i don't think the crowd that hangs around you know outside the governor's office nonstop is the crowd you want to be walking up to going hey you want to hit this <laughs> no no but no. giving them giving them a link to a ted talk they might go oh well, i might check that out you know <laughs> what is what have you been working on recently are you able to talk about that is there anything that's been the deep dive yeah. lately yeah actually um so everything i had done was r d directed towards using for internal purposes um and what what when COVID first hit and all of a sudden I'm at home instead of traveling on an airplane every week or two, wow. uh, I used that opportunity to rebuild my software platform to make it available to uh, clinicians and to others that want to be able to manage the uh, cannabis use of patients, et cetera. So um, that's been very exciting. I'm you know, lecturing all over the world. I'm doing a lot of educational programs. I just got back from Peru. Um, I'll be in Denver later this month. I think it is for uh, MJ for MDs, which is a conference that I've been uh, able to participate in several times. And I'm very excited to be invited back as keynote on cannabis and breast cancer this time. Um, cool. But I really, I'm working on helping different countries at this stage to roll out cannabis regulations in such a way that makes sense and how to understand really what's going on and not just be led by corporate interests that want to just make sure that they make it where they can have medicine there and then roll the ladder up behind them. Um, I've been working with the uh, Council for Federal Cannabis Regulations out of DC, and we're working very closely with the FDA to come up with uh, ways to regulate cannabis and understand uh, the the proper and and best uses for it. So a lot of the work on that area. Um, I am uh, presently uh, 
working with a group out of South Africa and one Peru to uh, providing medicine into Brazil and Peru and some other countries as well. So I've been busy. Oh, and and I probably see about six patients a week that I manage their uh, care. I I wanted to to elaborate on a situation that that you you were dealing with with a patient without divulging any private personal information, just the situation that we ran into because it was right here in Texas. Yep. And uh, the reason why you're so so adamant at working on the 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 federal regulation side of things and why that's so important. Yeah. Well, I have people that come to me from all over the world, but let's just stick with the United States. I have people that come to me from all 50 states and uh, frequently they're in CBD only states and they don't need CBD. They do need CBD, but they also need THC. They need the, the whole flower. And uh, or there's some ridiculous limit limitations on how much they could have that wouldn't even come close to treating whatever it is that we're looking to address. So we need to have some sort of overall federal regulation so that there's not such a disparity. You know, the United States, it's, it's kind of an oxymoron because you don't have the same rights from state to state. Let's look at some of the other issues without getting even more controversial than we already are with cannabis. You know, but right now it's insane what I'm seeing with rights being taken away left and right, where you can go across this imaginary border, this arbitrary line in the sand and access everything you need to treat your disease. Or if you're over here, then you can't. I mean, that's just, am I allowed to say bullshit on here? But that's just just bullshit. And I'm, I'm just really sick of that. I'm sick and tired. It breaks my heart. It breaks my heart when I have families that have small children that are sick and then they have, what are they going to do? They're going to pack up and they're going to be medical refugees to some state where they can get the medicine or the mom or the father goes with the child, the family's broken up, or they have to start selling things off to pay for medicine. I mean, all of it, the insurance isn't covering it. I mean, you can get me on a soapbox on this and why federal yeah. regulation has to take place because I, and the, the case that, that Chris was talking about where I will not go into it any too deep at all. No, absolutely. But in that case, I was depending upon an individual who made all sorts of promises and turned out to be a complete and utter nutter. And I had people that were depending on this person for medicine and this person Frankly, I wouldn't I wouldn't allow anything from this person to be used by any patient of mine. So um, everybody has access should have access to safe, lab tested, well manufactured, safely packaged, well labeled products, and that just is not the case. Not even remotely the case right now. I mean, but no. then again, even in California, that's you know eighty percent of the market's underground. People use bogus yep. lab tests. I mean, it's it's it needs to have a, there just needs to be change. We need to have we, all we, lab tests done by uh, uh, universities or government agencies and taken out of a for profit model. That would go a long way to, yeah. to fix things. Yeah, I've brought up similar things as to what you're talking about, and I was even reporting on it. We have a little news thing we do every week. Minus this last week, I had a horrendous sinus infection. I was uh, like this, and you wouldn't want to hear me say the news. 
<laughs> but uh, we're talking about California. They literally, the police officers were out raiding a grow, an illegal grow, and said the exact same number. They said 80% of what's being grown is illegal because the legal supply can't meet the demand. The licensing, everything's all sorts of jacked up. And it's gotten to the point where they're bringing illegal immigrants from other states into California to do this. They're literally yeah. trafficking people to do so because of all right. those issues you mentioned. Right. And then here in Texas, our hemp program has somehow has better testing requirements than our medical program does. We actually require third party testing to take place rather than in house. And my suggestion to dealing with labs, even in a for profit model, is like the government needs to be able to audit the labs on a regular basis. That way they can maintain yeah. at least the quality assurance of what's going on and we don't have people possibly forging lab numbers. I I would caution that anything that has oversight, there's always warning of when the oversight's coming. So I, I don't know. I just personally think that it should be third party, independent, nonprofit, not third party, for profit. You know, before before Metro metric and all this. We had instances, you know, before Prop 64 in California where you could buy higher THC numbers. Um, you pay extra money, you get extra extra THC in your medicine. So, I mean, that's kind of the, the taste in my mouth from all these years of working with cannabis. And one of the reasons that it's illegal, I mean, the illegal market is, is still so uh, huge is because it's so overtaxed and it's so... Yeah. It has taxation at every level, and it just doesn't make any sense. They see this as a gold mine for the schools and for the this and the this and the this, and it's ridiculous. So now I'll, I'm going to tell you a story about a patient. I had a, a woman, breast cancer. I'd been working with her for years. She was doing fantastically. She was in remission. She had gone back to work. She was having to use her medicine consistently, though, because anyone with cancer you don't get to stop using the cannabis when the cancer goes away. You got to keep going or it's a systemic disease. The cancer is in likelihood going to come back in many cases. So she was on a maintenance dose that was still pretty high because it was a stage four cancer. So there was, it was never going to be gone completely. So then Prop 64 passes and all of a sudden she has to get my medicine from through a dispensary. Well, I wasn't in the dispensaries, but I did find one wonderful group of people in Northern California that were willing to kind of use their delivery service as a, as a pass through for our patients. But the medicine doubled in price. Jeez. Yes. So this woman who was on a very a fixed income, she was not a high salaried employee somewhere. She goes ahead and cuts her medicine in half. Mm. Well, fast forward I'm at a, there's a uh, group in Berkeley. It's a women's cancer resource center that I, about once a year, I do a, a thing for, a talk for. And I, and I walk in there and she's there. And I'm like, what are you doing here? She's sitting there with a turban on and no hair and everything. She says, yep, I cut my medicine in half. You know, cancer came back. Cause and effect, I have absolutely no idea. I have no, I mean, I cannot sit here and stay, say that it came back just because she cut her medicine. But you know what? That was the only variable that changed. Yeah. And she got back on the medicine, got back up, everything else. But here she was going through chemo and still going to work every day. 
that's why cannabis is so ridiculously overpriced in black market in California. Yeah. Not just California. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. It's, California's not the only state with that problem. Oh, I so, know. We are going to go into our next sponsor break here at the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. I'm joined by co-host Gramps this week. This week is episode 56. Our guest is Mara Gordon of Aunt Zelda's. We'll be right back after the sponsor break. Texas Cannabis Collective and the Lone Star Collective Podcast. Oak Cliff focuses on quality assurance with their hemp products while providing customer service to help you discover cannabinoids to meet your needs. Their product line includes hemp flour, pre-rolls, CBG tinctures, edibles, Delta Eat, and merch. For more information on their product's quality or to shop online today, visit oakcliffcultivators.com or contact them at info at oakcliffcultivators.com. Thrive Apothecary offers an experience truly unique from anything else in Texas, a full-service cannabis solution that is doctor-owned and offers customers every level of cannabis legally available in Texas. From traditional CBD products to emerging hemp-derived THC edibles, smokables, and now medical cannabis. As a licensed medical cannabis provider, prospective patients from anywhere in Texas can book a sponsored online eligibility consultation to determine if they qualify for a medical marijuana prescription from the comfort of their own home. Plus, for Texas veterans, the first prescription appointment is donated by Thrive. Visit thrivetx.com for more information. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast, the official podcast of Texas Cannabis Collective. Distributed on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and much more, to give Texans information regarding policy, industry, and culture. Here is this week's host, Jesse Williams, and Gramps. Welcome back to the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. I'm joined by co-host Gramps this week. This week is episode 56. Our guest is Mara Gordon of Aunt Zelda's talking about people cutting their dosages in half. And um, I will say I am no stranger to taking product and having to cut it in half, especially in the state of Texas, because our medicine's expensive, insanely expensive for what it is. And even in our hemp line of things, things can get a bit pricey. Yeah. And weirdly, it's, I would say we, we should, for a man, for a state where we've got hemp gummies with 25 milligrams of Delta 9 THC in them, you'd think that we could have a variation of like, hey, here's a 5, a 10, a 15, a 20, a 25. Wow. We can give you X amount of gummies, and it tends to be either you find 10s or you find 25s. So you're cutting things in half. You're doing these weird mix and match. It's odd. I don't know if well, you've seen that in California like that. Well, oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, a hundred milligram chocolate bar, for yeah. example. I mean, now they have to be scored. Now they have individual wrapping. It's 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 better than it was. 
um, on things like that. I mean, it used to be crazy. I would tell people say, oh, this is a hundred milligram gummy or, or the ones I love are the lollipops. Like, how many licks is my dose? You know, it's like, how do I, and then what do I do with this sticky thing after I've licked it a few times? I mean, just absurdity. Um, personally believe that it should be from when you're in a lower dose, you should be using something that's like an infused oil or something. If it's a yeah. raw cannabinoid as a tincture, potentially sublingually in the, in the, uh, uh, buckle in your cheek. These are the best way to use a medicine to have a consistent uh, result in using it. I'm not a big fan of edibles at all. Um, they're inconsistent. They and not just because of how they're made, but because of what some of the things I mentioned earlier, like hydration, set and setting, the mood you're in. Have you eaten lately? What have you eaten? All of that those there. things, right? Yeah. Right. And the thing is, is in something talking about cutting a, a, a dose in half or gummy, mm -hmm. whatever in half, it depends on how it was made. I mean, if it was something where they went, oh, we've got a gummy, we're going to inject it with the Delta nine versus it was baked into it. It's like, well, if you cut it in half, what if the injections on one half and not the other? Right. So now you've got a half that does nothing for you. And the other half that you're just like, oh, I was not expecting this. Right. Well, you know, the other thing is some some of them spray gummies. They put like a spray over them. I mean, it's just mm -hmm. all awful. So I'm going to take you back to why I started Aunt Zelda's, which is kind of going backwards here. But <laughs> I, I, I didn't intend to. I had no interest in starting anything. Um, I went to a uh, dispensary that my uh, physician that had given me the initial recommendation for cannabis, you know, the legal 215 uh, paper that they use for this. He had suggested that I go to this one. He said it was the quote unquote Nordstrom's of, of dispensaries. And I went there and they had um, uh, brownies and cookies and caramel corn and Rice Krispie treats. And they were all like wrapped in cellophane with masking tape across them with how many milligrams. And I'm like, how many milligrams is that? Per the whole thing for the thing and how do you know if it has been lab tested it was just a bunch of bs and so i bought i bought i want to say i bought some a, a thing of brownies okay stereotype i'm just going to buy some things of brownies and see how it go i bought several things and being the engineer i am i got a moleskin out i start writing down i weigh each piece this is what time we took this is how long the onset this was the effect for both me and my husband and they were all over the place just for the reason you said one side of the brownie was dry and had no oil in it or butter, whatever they used. And then in the center of it, it was jam packed. So mm. the moist heavy part. So I was eating the end part because I happened to like the crunchy part on a brownie. Almost no effect. My husband had this middle part and he's like knocked over. So, <laughs> you know, you have to at least know what you're doing. Um, yeah. when you make these kinds of edibles. Chris, I don't know if you experienced this, if you went to Colorado when they first legalized, but that was a big issue. In Colorado, there was nothing that said it had to be equally dispersed throughout the product. So you could literally go buy a chocolate bar, and despite it had the little snaps on it, and they were like, it's 100 milligrams with 10 snaps, and ten it should be 10 milligrams a snap. You could end up having half the bar be nothing, right. the other half being doubled up. 
and there was no rule that required it to be dispersed properly. They finally said, no, no, we've got to be able to go and test this and make sure if, say, we want to take it to a lab and test one snap, it better be 10 milligrams in each snap. And all of a sudden, vastly different product. Yes. There are companies that I've admired the way that they've made things from the very beginning. Um, And then there's companies that everything they do is just one step further away from medicine. Yeah. So if you had to give advice to the Texas legislature this upcoming session, (laughs) Chris, it's like, oh, God. (laughs) I, I say from you, especially from you doing talking about clinical research and dosages because one of the 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 author of our bills for this is a the nurse is in uh in our legislature and a topic i brought up that the way i brought it up in our last committee hearing with her was i I told her i was like um i want to speak to you as a nurse about how we have percentages as to what our limits are when it seems that it's like doctors don't prescribe in percentages you know this they deal in dosages and when that's like milligrams and grams and dosage rates we need to have this set up for doctors to understand this because percentages is a foreign language for that so mm-hmm. with that kind of let's say with that thing in mind how would you tell our especially our clinicians that we have in our legislature what would you, be your advice to them I, my advice to them would be and of course, obviously, if I had in the real world, I would be thinking about it, not on an interview before I responded. But just thinking about this now, uh, the first thing I would tell them is to stop thinking about the delivery in a an edible format. Think instead of the actual medicine and how much needs to be metabolized by the body and then yeah. start looking at it by milligrams and what the methods of ingestion are and how each one is very different. The other thing I would look at is I would say, let's start looking at just the research and the data around three conditions. I call it the trifecta. I mean, they're the ones that, you know, you hear a speaker, they're all going to talk about pain, anxiety, and sleep. Those are three conditions that are a vast majority of the reason that people are not productive, miss work, have poor quality of life. There also happen to be three conditions that pharmaceuticals do an awful job of of addressing. You know, if there was a great pharmaceutical with no side effects, sure, why not? But there isn't. There isn't. So instead, you're leaving people suffering when there are, in fact, solutions that are non-detrimental. Okay, nobody needs to take 100 milligrams to deal with their insomnia when it's probably somewhere between 5 and 25. 15 seems to be the sweet spot for most people to get to sleep. But I think that there's a there's a thing that I do where I talk to I talk to so many governments. In fact, I'm starting to work with the NIH in Peru, you know. But one of the things that I tell them is is you have to take a look at what the intention is around the use of the medicine. People that are using cannabis using that want to use cannabis as a medicine are looking to diminish suffering. They are not looking to feel anything. They just don't want to be suffering anymore. So stop thinking about what they feel and think again instead of what you can reduce or address. You know, uh, diminishing suffering is the purpose of medical cannabis. Enhancing your experience is what adult uses use. Maintaining your health is what wellness is all about. But if you're going to address people that are suffering and they want to diminish their pain, 
look at what it's going to take to treat those various diseases, be part of the solution, help us collect data, help with that, have a mandatory reporting system where people have to report back to their doctors what they're using, how they're using it, so that we can understand and do a better job. Um, instead of treating it like, this is scary, I don't know anything about this, so I'm not going to touch it, or I'm going to leave it to the to the stoner on the corner to tell you how to treat your, your child's epilepsy. I mean, it's ridiculous. It is irresponsible, and it's a detriment, it's a detriment, what's the word I'm looking for? Of, of, it's, of it's detrimental. Detrimental, but it's also people have a duty. They swear an oath to uphold and protect and and help people. And people are suffering. There's an, a solution that's out there. It's not going to hurt anybody unless you keep it illegal. If you yeah. keep it illegal, you're going to hurt a lot of people because when people are desperate and it's somebody they love, they're going to find a way to do it anyway. But so in- better they should have access to safe, have tested control. Well, and part of what you're saying there is, is that part of a physician's job is dealing with the individual's quality of life. And it's like, you've done an oath to help them with this quality of life. Since you've taken this oath, maintain the responsibility with your oath and not pass the buck on to somebody else. It is a very, it's it's a lack of professionalism, really. Well, I consider it a lack of, of intellectual curiosity. Because yeah, it's too. pretty well established that there is, in fact, a system within the body that most doctors have not been taught about, and that's the endocannabinoid system. So in fairness to the average doctor, okay, it, nobody talked about that when they went to school and they did all their things a long time ago. Now, on the other hand, get over it. We've known about it for many, many years now, okay? And doctors yeah. have to take continuing education it's called CMEs, continuing medical education in order to maintain their license. Why not have that, that continuing education being in an area that you don't already know instead of an, an excuse to go play golf, right? Actually go to learn something. So if a doctor lacks intellectual curiosity and to, in order to, to go and learn something new, then that tells us a lot about the fact that we would go to a different doctor. And I tell patients that all the time. If your doctor is not willing to have this conversation with you or is not willing to address it, say thank you very much and go to a new doctor. Yeah. They're your employee. They're your employees. You are paying them. Yeah, they work for you. They work exactly. For you. And I find it interesting. You you bring up the point of them and they're doing they're supposed to do some investigation as to how it's working for you and what the results are and getting feedback and weighing that out. And it's strange to me that like my doctors want to do that with all the other medications, especially when I'm on the methylphenidate, but they don't really, I've had one really within the VA and then the doctor I see for the prescription has been very active with that. But the rest are like, yeah, whatever. Don't really want like, I don't really like, I really don't want to, I don't really don't want to prod at that. If it's in their, their idea has been, if it's working for you, it's working for you. I don't want to interfere with something that's working for you. And it's like, why don't you ask me why you think it's working for me? What things it has done that would be the symptoms of it working? Yeah. You know, if you don't tell your doctor what you're using and how you're using it, how are they going to know what is working for you? you? You know, how are they going to know whether it's this pharmaceutical 
this lifestyle change, this medicine, or all of the above. You have to have full disclosure. And if you're if it's illegal in your state, you are telling people to lie to their physicians because they're using it anyway. And then yeah. their physicians are yeah. making jumping to conclusions that are inaccurate. You know, it's like, for example, if you have somebody, I'm going to tell you an example of when not to use cannabis. So if you're going through immunotherapy for uh, cancers, you're on some kind of high dose immunotherapy and you're using CBD at the same time in a, in a fairly high dose, there's a chance that that immunotherapy is not going to work. Yeah. Right. We need more research on it, but early studies, that's what it's looking like. If you don't tell your doctor that you're using CBD, number one, your doctor's not going to know to tell you not to use it. And number two, they're going to assume that they tried immunotherapy with you and it didn't work. When the reality is it may have worked fine had you just eliminated the CBD. If you go in for surgery and you're having an anesthesiologist that doesn't know that you took a 50 milligram gummy before this morning and they go to and you have the cytochrome P450 interaction, it can be really serious. So not telling your doctor isn't just about yeah, your doctor should be responsible. It could also be extraordinarily uh, detrimental to your health. Yeah. And we need, as you talked about, more information into that because, like, I've talked to several anesthesiologists over the last two to three years, and I get conflicting answers as to whether or not somebody's okay using cannabis leading yep. up to a surgery. I've had some go, that's not even on my radar. I'm not concerned about that. Yep. I'm looking for more like methamphetamine use or are you a PCP user? And I'm like, oh, yeah, people are going to be really open and honest about their PCP usage with you. So, yeah, sure. That's what you can be concerned about. <laughs> OK, right. but uh, and then there's the people get concerned, like you mentioned, about being on immunotherapy. Like I have R.A. It attacked my lungs and they've put me on that. And I've told them, hey, I use cannabis products. And I'm open about that. And they were telling me, they're like, we're okay, that's not so much of what with what you use. It's not heavy with CBD. We're not concerned with that. But yet there's people who, like you said, they're afraid to talk about it. They don't want to say something because they're either afraid they're going to get in trouble. And then there's physicians, like you said, they have no clue as well. They haven't been taught about this system. So they really, they, they think it's bad. Well, I, I always used to answer that question now. You know, when they ask you, you use recreational drugs? Nope. I mean, <laughs> and you know, just, until I learned better. Here's the right? funny thing is right now, I'm I'm still honest with them. They say, do you use recreational drugs? No, I don't. Well, are you on any medication? Yeah, I'm on cannabis. Well, you just told me you don't use any recreational drugs. You're right. I don't. I use them medicinally. I have a doctor hey. who oversees my care. That's exactly <laughs> right. So one of the things that... I do the same thing. And I, that's awesome, Jesse. One of the things that I, that I insist with patients and insist with my own doctors is they need to change their questionnaire and not ask about recreational or illegal drugs, because that's not really, that's not really relevant. What matters is if you are using something, putting something in your body that may be in, in some way interactive with something else. So I've had to help my doctors. Um, I happen to have as my primary care some from one medical to have cannabis available as an option when I'm filling out what medications that I use. 
But I also want to go a step further and say they need to be including other supplements. Uh, things like, are you on uh, turkey tail, reishi mushrooms? You know, um, yeah. are you on curcumin? Other things that are antioxidants that may interact with a drug that's designed to work through oxidation. So, I mean, it everything that you put in your body needs to be looked at in, t- in its entirety. And, that's a great. And, yeah, but go ahead. I was saying what we're what we're doing now is we're just looking at pharmaceuticals instead of everything that a person takes where they can have potential uh, interactions and then they don't understand the results that they experience with the patient. You mentioned antioxidants. So what I could think of is like, I go through like a gallon of tea a day and that is an antioxidant big time, but I never have a doctor ask me, Hey, do you, do you, do you take any antioxidants or you put anything in your body like that? It's like, Oh no, I drink a lot of tea. I finally had one go while you're on this cut back on that for a moment. It's right. how, how your system right. uses this. Oh, okay, good. I'll cut back on it during this time. Um, as we wrap up our show, is there anything that's been on your mind where you came in the interview hoping, you know, I hope I get to talk about this. I, I want to I bring this up and say this. Any last thoughts you have? Yes. I want CBD to stop being the star because it's not. Yeah. CBD is not the star. Okay. The whole plant cannabis is the star in Texas. It has, you know, you can't swing a cat without hitting a CBD store. And I want that to stop. And I want people to start concentrating on have access to well-formulated medicines that are made to treat various diseases and to help people with full disclosure. I want less of these Frankenstein medicines in Texas that are like just using some sort of an isolate or, or and then adding a bunch of fake terpenes and calling it medicine. Texas is is a big state with lots of people, and it deserves to have access to good quality medicine. Um, I'm from Dallas. I want to be able to go and travel to Dallas and have my medicine while I'm there. And um, anything I can do to help to make that happen, I'm game. Amen. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad that I wasn't uh, on camera when you you said that because I was just... I muted myself and laughed really hard when he talked about swinging a cat and hitting a CB st- <laughs> CBD store. Just the image in my head. It's true. I was yeah. last time I was there. I was like, "What is this?" And I go in there, and I, of course, I don't tell anybody who I am. And I ask some questions, and the answers are just dumber than dirt. You know? Oh, yeah. oh, I I know. I go into some of them, and but well, part of the reason why they're they're set up that way is. You can't really flash a sign outside that says, we've got THC. Our government goes nuts and goes, look at what they've made and what they're doing. And some of them, there's a good chunk of them. At least you go inside and somebody knows what they're doing and they're talking about. And they've got a, a variety of products. They've got some full spectrum stuff as well. But yeah, it's less of that and more of what you talked about. Yeah. So I appreciate you've joined us for our show. And we've had great conversation here. Love this type of stuff. I'm hoping you're enjoying the weather where you're at. Sounds like it's beautiful down there. Yeah, looks like it too. Yeah. Look it up. If you haven't, if you haven't, if you don't know where La Paz is. I'm not in Bolivia. I'm in Mexico, but take a look. It's paradise. You can be yeah. in Bolivia. I think that's fine too. <laughs> you in Bolivia. You mean Guatemala. You'd be, you be in Colombia. I'd be fine with that. <laughs> Anything you've got in your mind, Chris? Any last thought? No, I just want to thank you as always, Mara, for joining us and and giving us your great insights into the world of cannabis as medicine. My pleasure. Thank you, Chris.
Alrighty, that is going to do it for the Lone Star Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Williams. I'm joined this week by co-host Gramps. This week is episode 56. Our guest was Mara Gordon of Aunt Zelda's. We hope everybody enjoys the rest of their week and stays safe out there. Enjoy this wonderful, beautiful fall we've entered into. Everybody have a great week.